Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. This morning, I got a text from Pastor Ryan. He said the uh, flu has hit our house, and I don't think I'm going to be able to make it today. You might have noticed it was uh, his name in the bulletin for the message today. Um, That sends a bit of a panic into pastors' uh, minds. So, Ryan, if you're listening online, I'll get you back for this. (laughs) But uh, fortunately, this isn't my first rodeo. So, this is a favorite text that was assigned to cover today. And and, uh, I have preached from it before, and so you might have heard some of this before, some of you. Uh, we also had a district pastors meeting just this last week, and this was the text study that, that uh, Ryan led us through. So uh, it's very familiar in my mind, and, and I, I love sharing on this passage. If you've been asked uh, why you believe in Jesus Christ or, or why you believe the Bible to be authoritative, uh, the Apostle Peter gives us some good answers to both of those questions in, in part of this second letter that we're going to look at today. Um, You see, Christians believe that the Bible is the most unique book in the world and that Jesus Christ is the most unique person ever walked the face of this earth. I invite you to look with me as we look together then in in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, reading verses 16 through 21 in Jesus' name. Uh, Please stand in reverence to God's word as we read. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you today for the confidence we can have in your word that is contained in our Bibles. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we meditate on this passage, you would remind us of that, you would encourage us with this solid foundation we have for our lives and for eternity. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You may have heard sometime before the story of the fox and the crow. There was a fox who uh, watched a crow fly overhead uh, with a piece of cheese in its beak and and then settle in a branch in that nearby tree. And and the fox determined to get that piece of cheese, and so he walked up to the foot of the tree and he said, 
Good day, Mistress Crow. How fine you are looking today. How glossy your feathers, how bright your eye. Your voice must surpass all the other birds, just as your figure does. Let me hear just one more beautiful song from you. The crow lifted up her head and began to caw her best. And, and the moment she did, of course, a piece of cheese fell to the ground and was snapped up by the fox. And then he said to the crow, in exchange for your cheese, let me give you a piece of advice for the future. Never trust flatterers. Now, why did I tell you that story? It's a cute story. But more than that, it's one of Aesop's fables. Now, what's a fable? Well, it's a clever story with a moral lesson. And as we look at the words of Peter today, we're going to, first of all, consider some things that the Bible says that it isn't, and then some things the Bible says that it is, and also some things about Jesus, whom Peter knew personally and followed. And if you're trying to follow along in the outline in your bulletin today, I'm sorry, can't help you with that. I'm wondering about some of those blanks myself. <laughs> but you'll have to just listen and do your own notes today. The Bible is not a cleverly devised tale. It's not a fable or a myth or a legend. So first of all, a fable. Uh, Aesop's fables, for instance, they're clever stories with a moral lesson. The Bible's not a fable. It's not a legend. Legends are things like the story of Paul Bunyan. Um, they might have had some truth way behind it there, but then it got added to and exaggerated until it became out, a far-out legend. The Bible's not a legend. It's also not a myth. A myth is a legendary story that explains a practice or, or a belief of people today. And you know, there are many people today who would put the Bible on the level of a fable or legend or a myth. Some of them even call themselves theologians or experts on the Bible. And some of them have doctoral degrees in theology. Back in 1977, there were some of them that were at prestigious schools in England, like Oxford and Cambridge, that, that came up with a book that they called The Myth of God Incarnate. And in it they said that Jesus was not the Son of God, but he's a wonderful man. Most wonderful man that ever lived but not God. About 10 years later, there was a meeting of supposed Bible scholars at Luther Northwestern in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, this group that was gathering, they called the Jesus Seminar. Their goal was to determine which parts of the Gospels were God's word and which parts were added by men. And so they voted on those things and decided, for instance, that Jesus didn't actually claim to be the Messiah, his followers just later said that he was. The next year they met and they voted again on some other things, including, um, is Jesus really the one, that, or did Jesus really teach the uh, Lord's Prayer to the disciples? And they included, they concluded the disciples made that up as well. These so-called scholars tried to put the Bible on the level of a myth. But it's not that. Peter says that here. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible's not a cleverly devised myth. It's also not made by a mere act of human will. No biblical author decided one day, you know, I think I'm going to sit down and write a book for the Bible. 
It didn't happen that way. That might be the case with some other books that are out there, like, for instance, the non-canonical Gospel of Thomas, but not the Bible. And you know, there are other religious books that were clearly written by man. I have a copy of a Book of Mormon. It can be traced back to one man, Joseph Smith, written during his lifetime. I have a Quran. Its teachings can be traced back to Muhammad. And the Quran was then compiled by his followers just soon after he died. Those books, I believe we would have to say, were made by an act of human will. But the Bible is not made by an act of human will. It's far different from any other book in the world. Written by at least 35 different human authors over a period of at least 1,500 years. From the time that Moses wrote the first books there in the Pentateuch. Um, to John writing the, the book of Revelation. No one human being could have put it all together. It wasn't possible. 1,500 years is too long for that. Nor could there have been some kind of a conspiracy of several people to accomplish that. No, the, the Bible is an account, including an account of eyewitnesses of Jesus' earthly life. In the Old Testament, we have accounts of people who had real encounters with the living God. Old Testament prophets, for instance, who experienced God speaking to them. But when we get to the New Testament, we have accounts of the disciples who were there with Jesus, the Son of God, when he was here on earth. And Peter is calling attention to that fact that he was there. He was with James and John when they went up the mountaintop and they saw Christ transfigured before them. And they saw then a demonstration of Christ's awesome power and glory as the Son of God, and they heard a voice out of the heavens. And so Peter is telling us here, I was there. I saw it all. I know he is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. I heard that voice from the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. According to the Gospels, Peter also saw up close Three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. He, he heard him teach. He touched him. He, he fought against Jesus being arrested. He, he tried to follow Jesus uh, even then uh, when he was taken away to be crucified. Um, he followed at a distance. And, and after Jesus died, Peter visited that tomb where Jesus had been buried. And he saw that it was empty. And then he later talked with the resurrected Christ. And then we have an end of the Gospel of John where it tells us of how he was restored to leadership by Jesus even after he had denied him. And then 40 days later, he saw the resurrected Christ ascend back up into heaven. Nobody could tell Peter, Jesus isn't even real. Or nobody could tell him he wasn't the Son of God and the Messiah. He was an eyewitness of Jesus' life. And his words and the other words of eyewitnesses are recorded in our four Gospels. The Bible was spoken by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 tells us about that here. You see, God didn't one day zap a bunch of books that became the Bible. No, he used real humans with real personalities and character um, to, to write it. In our catechism, we have this question, well, how can their word be the word of God? And Luther's answer is the Spirit of God revealed to them what to speak and write. And what we see here in verse 21 is that as well, where it says, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
And because they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God in, in what to write, we can say that every word that they recorded really was God's word. And, and that's what we sometimes call verbal inspiration of Scripture. And, and that belief, verbal inspiration of Scripture, is one of the things that our congregation has in common with other like-minded Lutherans in the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations and other Lutheran denominations as well. It, it, it's something that we dare not let go of as it shapes the rest of what we believe and it shapes why we even exist here as a congregation. And, and there are many seminaries in our land, unfortunately, that no longer teach verbal inspiration of Scripture. And they would say, well, you know, the Bible contains God's Word. And many of the professors believe that parts of the Bible then are God's word, parts were added by men later, and thus their perspective then becomes that, that the corporate task of the church is to decide which parts um, are and aren't God's word. And of course, how much is left to believe and to trust will become completely then a subjective thing, depending on who gets to decide it and what they want to believe. And I believe that such theologians should spend more time in God's word, and less time discussing other opinions about it. You see, when one spends time in the word of God, reading all of it, you, you see some things that are amazing. You see scripture's internal support um, as the different books re reference each other and uh, re reflect in a very high view of scripture. If, when we get to the next chapter in Second Peter, um, well, I guess in chapter 3, uh, Peter refers to Paul's letters, and he says that they are Scripture. When we look in the Gospels, we see that Jesus often quoted from the Old Testament. And uh, some of you have Bibles like mine where um, whenever there's a quote from the Old Testament, they indent it a little bit and they put it in caps. And if you see that, when you read it through the New Testament, it's all over the place. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. So are, are Paul and other authors as well. And there's this amazing recognition then of how scripture books fit together and support each other. Dr. Munseth, uh, dean of our seminary for years, uh, back when I went through seminary, had just this firm belief in the inerrancy of scripture, and I so much appreciated that. Um, how Jesus saw himself in scripture is a fascinating thing to consider in itself. And I, I just share a quote I, I wrote earlier here. We are, we are aware that some will see our view of Scripture as naive. However, it is rooted not in mere tradition, but in the belief of Christ himself regarding the Scriptures. One estimate is that approximately one-tenth of Jesus' words recorded in the New Testament either directly reference or quote from the Old Testament. Jesus' teaching ministry continually reflected a perspective that whatever was written in Scripture settled the issues that he addressed. And so it is that we are called by Christ to continue to allow the written word of God to direct the ministry of his church. As we look on this text, uh, besides the things that it tells us about the authority of Scripture, the written word of God, we also see that it tells us some things that Peter believed of, about Jesus Christ himself. And, and he believed that Jesus is, as verse 19 points out, the prophetic word more fully confirmed. The Old Testament prophets had predicted that there was coming a Messiah someday, and then after the last of the Old Testament prophets had spoken, there was at least a 400-year gap um, before the coming of Jesus Christ. 
It's interesting, when, when the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, well, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Herod gathered his chief priests and scribes, well, gathered his leaders anyway and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said this. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And then they quoted from the Old Testament prophet Micah concerning that location. Well, Jesus fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy and hundreds more. Roughly 33 just in one day, the day of his death. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus himself is described as the Word of God. We know that 400-year gap left many people wondering, well, is the Messiah coming or not? Did those Old Testament prophets really predict rightly, or didn't they? But Jesus' coming then bears out the fact that they knew what they were talking about, and they were speaking from God, and God promises that what he does promise he will bring about. And with that in mind then, so since God has promised also this, that Jesus is going to return someday, even though it's been now way more than 400 years since that promise, still we believe that Christ will return someday visibly to the earth and he will usher in judgment day, followed by eternal rewards and punishments for all. And since God has shown us in Christ that the prophetic word of the Old Testament prophets is reliable, we're told here in verse 19 that we do well to pay attention to him. So I want to ask today, are you and I, are we paying attention to the words and teachings of Jesus today, and are we shaping our lives accordingly? If you are one who hasn't yet come to Jesus in your life, and you haven't confessed your sins to him and asked for forgiveness and his power to change you, you could you would do well to pay attention today. His invitation is there for you again today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he invited, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There, there is nothing like the rest that Jesus gives to sin-sick hearts as he provides full forgiveness and pardon and new direction in life. So we look in our text, we also see this, that Jesus is like a lamp that is shining in a dark place. The world that we live in is getting darker as we live, and gradually we are seeing our country's moral values slide into the ditch. Postmodernism says there's no absolutes, do what feels right for you. And tolerance is hailed as the ultimate virtue. And anyone who speaks out very loudly against that, this moral malaise that we have is, is branded a radical fundamentalist and is considered dangerous. Well, our country would do well this coming holiday season to go back to its roots and again pay attention to the things that shaped our earlier foundations. We have Thanksgiving just ahead of us here and let it remind us of that first Thanksgiving and the pilgrims who recognized their great dependence on Almighty God and thanked him for his provision. And as we look ahead at Christmas, let us remember the Christ of Christmas, his, his life, his teachings, his death and resurrection, and again, hold up his uniqueness as the Son of God and the light for a dark world. Jesus is the one, also verse 19 talks about, who will return um, when the day dawns. I told you I was up early this morning. I drove here. Uh, as the sun was rising, and what a glorious sunrise it was today. Do you realize that one day 
will dawn that will be the day, the day of Christ's return? I think it was Mark DeHaan's grandpa, who's the founder of Radio Bible Class and the source of our Daily Bread devotional guides, that uh, had these short words put on his tombstone. Maybe today. Oh, that we'd live our lives with that perspective. Maybe uh, we'd do some things differently as a result. Um, maybe we'd have some different priorities. We'd hang on a little less tightly to some of the uh, things that we have as our earthly possessions. We give a higher priority to spiritual matters and to sharing our faith in Jesus. We're also told in this text here, Jesus is the morning star. Now, some commentaries suggest that the morning star refers to Venus, for instance, that appears in the sky in some parts of the world, sometimes of the year just before the sun comes up. But I find it interesting what it tells us in Revelation chapter 22. And there are these words, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. As we think about this passage today then, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We do well to pay attention to the prophetic word more fully confirmed by Jesus' first coming. He's the light of the world uh, for the lo those lost in the darkness of sin. And we do well to pay attention to that prophetic word and to Jesus himself un until the day of his return. And as our anticipation of that return grows, it'll be like a morning star or as the sun itself as it's rising in our hearts, it says. The anticipation will grow and grow until the full day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the picture that this uh, text gives us of, of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder so clearly that this that we have before us is, is not a mere myth or fable, but is the word of God verbally inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to men to record over the years of history so that it would point so clearly of the Messiah that would come and then tell us of his coming and what he accomplished and then look back on that and as, as the foundation of our Christian beliefs. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us in our walk with you, in our anticipation of your return, and in our desire to share the light that you've given us in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.